The Ambitious Mum Podcast. Different women, different lives, different ambitions. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and every week I'll be having honest conversations about ambition. We as a society, we treat men's time as finite, like diamonds, and we treat women's time as infinite, like sand. Motherhood. There is no guilt and shame for not having a perfect color-coded homeschool for for your kids. There's no right way to do a pandemic. And everything in between. We'll explore how their ambitions and careers have evolved while being a parent. And I'll be digging deep, acknowledging the taboos, the sacrifices, and the sheer grit and perseverance working mums don't talk about. It is time to treat our home like our most important organization and invest in your relationship like you're investing in toilet paper with a 20-minute check-in every single night. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started with this week's podcast, I wanted to tell you about my new sponsor, Nanu. Those who know me know how much I value my sleep and my pillows are integral to this. The power of sleep should never be underestimated. And with Nanu, they are helping us with the most personalised sleep experience available. So if you're a pillow snob a bit like me, you'll know it has to be your own specific type to achieve the best night's sleep. And creating a Nanu pillow is so simple. You just go on their website, which is nanusleep.co.uk, and tailor make your perfect pillow according to your weight, height, favourite sleeping position and preferred softness. The information is then used in some magic pillow making algorithm, basically creating a personalised pillow just for you. And that's all for £35. Genius. And as parents, you know, life can be so busy and a good night's sleep is essential for our mental and physical well-being, ensuring we're on top form for our families as well as our careers. And sleep is that factor that can literally make or break our day as well as protecting us from illness, stress and future disease. So if a personalised pillow sounds like your perfect option to a better quality sleep, um, have a look at nanusleep.co.uk or simply search nanusleep on all social media platforms. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Ambitious Mum podcast. It is episode 13. I am your host, Kate Moore Youssef. We are week three, week two of lockdown. We don't seem to be coming anywhere near the end. So I think we're all just sort of getting used to this new normal now. The, the Maybe the shock's worn off a little bit and we are sort of just settling into life of wearing no makeup, no bras, barely any normal clothing and definitely nothing smarter than a pair of tracksuit bottoms but we are carrying on we're taking each day as it comes and thankfully I have this podcast because that is what is keeping me going so thank you to everyone that is listening and sending me messages I really appreciate it um this week is really exciting for me because I asked this lady to come on the podcast months ago. Um, Her name is Eve Rodsky and she's written a book called Fair Play. And I read the book and I absolutely loved it. And I messaged her and she really liked the sound of the podcast and she agreed to come on and she's been just a delight to deal with the whole time. And this book basically talks about dividing um, household labour and the work-life balance 
and essentially how the division of labour is is sorted within your household. And it was very pertinent to me when I read it um, a few months ago. And it's even more pertinent to me now that we are all living in a house together. We're working under the under, under one roof. The kids are homes being homeschooled. There is um, definitely been some shifts going on. It's been difficult. There's been adaptations. We are coping and it's not been easy. Um, you know, there is a balance that needs to be done, that needs to be addressed. We talk about this a lot in the podcast. Eve offers from her perspective as a mediator and as um, an organisational um, behavioural specialist, how we can create more harmony in the household by putting real systems in place that you would within an organisation and how you divide up tasks for the family like you would if you had a hierarchy of employees. She gives us some really practical tips this episode for what we need to be doing right now. And as she says in her own words, there's no right way to do a pandemic. We are all learning on the job. No one knows what to do. We've never been in this situation before, apart from sort of like a few days or a week or something. And um, it the pressure is on. So I hope that this episode helps you because it really helped me. I came out of it after speaking to Eve, very uplifted, very empowered. You know, I've tried to put some of the advice that she's given on the podcast into practice. And I would love to hear your feedback afterwards. Take care. Thanks for listening. Okay, so hello everyone. We have a very exciting guest today. I'm, I'm really been looking forward to this episode. Um, her name is Eve Rodsky and she's written a book that I believe was written purely for me, which I know it wasn't, but I felt when I was reading it, it was a book that has basically been written to, to help sort my life out. So Eve, welcome to the Ambitious Mum podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Your book, Fair Play, I have to tell you, is was a proper game changer for me um, because it basically made me feel that all the things that I'd been thinking for many years were actually real as opposed to just sort of figments of my imagination. <laughs> so thank you so much for writing such a, an amazing book, which I think, um, I hope, has, has made a big difference to lots of different families and households throughout the world. Well, thanks, Kay, for saying that. Um, I think my favorite sociologist, uh, his name was C. Wright Mills, and uh, he was famous for saying private lives, public issues. And mm. I think that um, the number one thing for us all to realize um, as women, especially women of children um, in opposite sex relationships, is that we, um, we're not alone. Um, these problems of women doing two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family and more, actually way more than that in a uh, pandemic, because I have some new survey data over the past three days, I interviewed uh, 100 um, men and women. So I have new data on top of my five plus interviews um, that mirrored the US census, but also included the UK. Um, we are doing two thirds or more of what, what it takes to run a home and family, regardless of whether we work outside the home. And that is not a private life issue that is a public issue mm. I think let's just take a little step back because first of all um, it goes without saying that we are in the middle of a global pandemic we're, we're going through really unprecedented 
times and I think everyone across the world where you know whatever is going on we're all kind of dealing with similar situations um, which is unheard of really but you wrote your book Fair Play way before the coronavirus was even you know first mentioned in the news and it's as topical as ever and we will get to sort of what's going on currently but before the coronavirus where where can you just give us a bit of a background of what inspired you to write the book sure um this book started with a text my husband seth sent me and you see it in fair play it just it started with a text he sent me uh seven eight, almost eight years ago now that just said, um, I'm surprised you didn't, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Hmm. And (laughs) Kate, you can picture the scene, right? I mean, I had a diaper bag and a breast pump on the passenger seat of my car. Um, I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the backseat of my car. I just left the corporate workforce. I had opted out quote unquote, um, because it's not a female issue, right? This is a systemic issue, but I opted out of the corporate workforce because I couldn't handle it all. Um, and there was no flexible return policies and my husband made more money than me. So it was my job, quote unquote, to opt out. So I had started my own business. I'm a mediator and um, lawyer by trade. So I had a client contract in my lap in this car, along with the, the breast pump and the diaper bag and the gifts. And I had a pen that was sort of stabbing me in the vagina. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to mark it up at every traffic stop, racing to get my older son, Zach, who was three at the time, at his toddler program, which in America, you know, because we really value working parents, it lasts like five minutes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just, I couldn't text and drive anymore. I just, I pulled over, um, even though I was going to be late to pick up Zach. Um, and I just started crying. I just started sobbing in my car thinking to myself, um, you know, wow, I used to be able to manage employee teams and now I I can't manage a grocery list. But more importantly, um, this was not the, you know, work-life combo that I had envisioned. And um, how did I become the default? Or as Mm. I call it, airplay, right? The she-fault. I love that. Household and domestic tasks for my family. It wasn't supposed to happen to me, Kate. I'm a product of a single mom. I vowed when I was seven years old and helping her with eviction notices and teaching her the difference between late utility bills and regular utility bills. I vowed this was not going to happen to me. And I married my equal partner, but it still had happened to me. And on top of that, I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I'm literally trained to use my voice and to communicate. And that's what I do for a living. I teach families how to do that. Um, And so I figured if this was happening to me, it was probably happening to everybody. Absolutely. And that is one of the reasons why I felt so personally connected to the book, because um, I had a similar story. You know, I I had, I've got four kids and I made the decision that I had to um, put my work on the back seat because my husband's job was was providing more for the family and, and for the household. And I wanted to be around for my kids and I wanted to, you know, to sort of be in the house present for them. But as I had more and more kids, my identity slowly sort of sapped away. And and reading this book, it was like each page was like an aha moment of, oh my God, yes, yes. Some of it was in my control and some of it was out of my control. And I think 
so many people can relate to what you just said then of having that moment where you sat in your car and you're surrounded by all these things that <laughs> don't kind of so you don't associate with your kind of career identity and these are the things that are kind of tipping you over the edge like the taking things back to shops and having to you know put food on the table every evening and organize all the after school activities and I mean, there's so many elements of the book that I, I mean, I've written down this list now and I kind of ran out of space on the paper to talk about all these things. Yes, people can relate because this is, like I said, this is a problem that affects uh, women. This is a gendered issue and it affects women. And like I said, regardless of our socioeconomic status and regardless of our ethnicity. Mm. And I think the main the first element of the, of the book, which I really connected to, and, and we kind of have lots of different words for it, was this sort of mental load um, where we lay in bed at night and we have this kind of, com this rumination of thoughts of all the things that we've got to do. And it's just never ending because we tick one off and then there's another one. And for some reason, men just don't seem to have, they have it maybe at work, but they don't think about the, lunch boxes and the activities and the play dates and the WhatsApp groups and all the things that are just going on in our heads. It just seems to have been this kind of societal, it's just the way it's kind of gone that the women just hold this mental load and we've accepted it. Yes. Yes. And what's interesting, Kate, was that um, after that blueberries day, my sort of my first step in this journey, which I want to tell everybody out there that, um, you know, I'm going to tell you to, you know, to stay interested in your own life later in this podcast and tell you that you can do anything. But at the time when I had a pen stabbing me in the vagina, if someone told me to find my passion and purpose, I would have fucking killed them. <laughs> um, so this, I, you know, we're all bigger than this and find your self-care time and your passion and purpose. It's all bullshit without the context of domestic rebalance. But mm. what I will say that um, this has become my passion and I can live in that because I now have domestic rebalance. But at the time, all I had time for, because I was still working and completely overwhelmed and in charge of everything for the house and the, in my uh, two kids at the time, including a newborn, was just to start reading. Um, and I started to read articles and books and all of a sudden I had this aha moment that we've been talking about this issue for a hundred years. <laughs> Um, and I, I consider myself a feminist. I'm, again, the product of a single mother who didn't, she didn't believe in birthday gifts. So instead we would march every year in Washington, D.C. <laughs> for equal rights amendment and for civil rights and for voting rights. Wow. And I still had no idea that this was a thing. And the thing has been called the mental load, but it's also been referred to as the second shift for women. Yeah. It's also been referred to as invisible work. And what, or, or emotional labor, you may have heard that term as well. Um, yeah. Why I liked invisible work the best was because there was a modicum of a solution in there. I, I sort of had this light bulb that, wow, you know, it, you, you can't value what you don't see, right? And so what if I write down every single thing that's invisible to my family? And that's how this process started. This process started with me uh, calling all of my friends um, and friends of friends and asking them, what do you do more than two minutes of quantifiable time for your family that I could write down? And what I mean by that is you can't quantify loving your children, but you can quantify the time it takes to go buy them flowers for their dance recital. Mm. 
So we started, I started writing down everything, right? Like making school lunches, 10 minutes, taking my kids to the dentist, um, an hour. And then the fun part was women I didn't even know started chiming in because they got this Excel spreadsheet I had started from their friends. And women I didn't even know started sending me things like, well, you forgot Elf on the Shelf. That's one hour times 20 nights. Um, you forgot uh, Girl Scout cookies ordering in sales. That's an American thing, you know, five hours. Um, you forgot sunscreen, uh, two minutes to apply, but 30 minutes for the chase. So you, you basically were opening a can of worms because once you start thinking, you, you just, it's like a never ending list. And we, I, I love that what you call this list is the shit I do list. Is that right? The shit I do spreadsheet. I finally yeah. named it after creating 98 tabs in Excel with about 10 to 20 <laughs> tabs. It was over a thousand items of invisible work and it was called the shit I do spreadsheet. And the beauty of it was, um, was, you know, it felt so cathartic, Kate, to, to write all the stuff down. And, um, and at that time, I really thought that was a solution. And one day I got the courage to send it off to Seth, um, you know, the 20 million megabyte spreadsheet with just the subject line, you know, can't wait to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> and as I write in fair play, right, I didn't even get the courtesy of um, the three monkey trio. I just got that one fucking emoji, you know, that sad monkey where it's covering its eyes. <laughs> So it basically, it kind of went in and, um, and he, had, he had no words. I, I, that's what I'm gathering from that one emoji. It, nine months of work on this damn fucking shit I do spreadsheet that had gone viral amongst women um, in different communities. And um, all he, he, he could muster up was that see no evil monkey emoji. But this is the thing. There was a see no evil in my house. But actually, it was worse in other houses. Um, I had women start texting me, and you can't make this stuff up, right? A woman texted me. I mean, these, that was normal. Like the normal response was WTF, you know, what the fuck? I had no idea I was doing this all. Um, uh, but I had a woman uh, leave me a message on my voicemail saying, hi, you know, I got your spreadsheet from the Jewish Federation of Arizona, friends. Um, I just want to let you know I'm not staying in my marriage. Wow. And so I realized that, um, you know, the shit I do spreadsheet had unleashed a shit storm. And sometimes um, a rant without a solution is, mm. is worse than no rant at all. Can I just interrupt you on that one? Because I was halfway through your book before you got into the solution element. So there's like, I'd say maybe like a quarter of the book with all the background and then three quarters with amazing solutions with all the, the, the games and everything. And I sent my friends, we're in a WhatsApp group. And these are my friends, my old school friends that we've kind of seen through loads of, you know, everything. And I sent them a, a, a sentence saying, I found a book that we're all going to love. And I sent, you, sent them all the link to your book and it's unleashed this vitriol of kind of like, this is what my husband did today. And this is what da, 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 da. And, you know, the, we all love our husbands very much and we're not, you know, there to, to bash them, but it kind of just, there was, there was ownership. There was like all of a sudden this, okay, we're acknowledging what's going on in, in our marriages, in our households. And then afterwards we're all like, and now what do we do? 
like and so I said don't worry I said I'm getting to the next bit of the book so you know we'll learn the the solutions but I can totally see how that could have happened because you get fired up and you get riled up and then you need you need something you know otherwise you, you do want to get a divorce exactly I think exactly that was what was happening it was women sharing with me all of the things that their husband was doing um and honestly um it's because kate we don't know how to communicate about these issues we've never been taught how to communicate about the home and i think that's the um the sad and the true part and what i realized after that should i do spreadsheet um failure (laughs) was um you know i could resign myself to just doing it all because lists alone don't work or, or, you know, I could become my own client. Um, my day job is I'm a uh, philanthropic advisor and it's okay if nobody has any idea what that means, but you just have to picture that new HBO show succession, right? Mm. Or, or, or the murder, <laughs> Love it. Or anybody who you, who you think of as sort of powerful that has sort of family issues and uh, has a family business or a family foundation. And what I do is um, through systems and values, um, I bring um, domestic harmony. I bring harmony to those to those families. So when I work, you know, I I go in, you know, for example, to a client, and every time his son speaks in a meeting, he walks out of the room. And then by the end of our engagement, um, I have families, three generations, communicating around the table um, with grace and humor and generosity even when they're making the most complex financial and organizational decisions. And I do that through systems, through mm. systems for them. And so once I realized that my work could be applicable to the home, everything changed. And then I started to develop a system, a solution that has now been working. Um, and I know that cause I tested it for three years uh, for thousands of, of couples in different situations. And now even more, you know, we have, um, you know, in, on my own spreadsheet alone of people who've accessed the cards online, we have over 10,000 accesses in just, you know, five months. Um, so it's been really exciting to watch the change slowly happen. The Ambitious Mum Podcast. I could talk for forever about all the different elements of the book and I think it is definitely worth you know a proper read but what I wanted to do today due to the extenuating circumstances that we're in and um and I think that everything is amplified now you know we're, we're working from home we're homeschooling our kids people are trying to work um in different rooms and you know someone's job is inevitably more important than the other person's and I wanted to be able to offer my listeners some, maybe some coping mechanisms of if you could, you know, pick a few different, um, I don't know, systems that might, we might be able to tap into. Because there's things for me that I've taken from, from the book that maybe we, we could speak about. Um, and I wanted to, I was going to touch on the happiness trio and maybe you could have, you know, explain a little bit about that. But also, I'm, I was thinking about this minimum standard of care that you talk about, which, um, you know, again, we're all living under the same roof 24-7. Hygiene, cleanliness, people's different standards. And yeah. 
it's, it's just so many different things as I was going through my notes for today that were applicable even more so for what we're doing now. And from a personal perspective, I'll just give you a little bit of background what's happening. My husband runs a business and his income is, is more important than my income at the moment. So I ha he's trying to save his business and trying to pivot to, to, you know, to work with whatever's going on. And he's been working, you know, 12 hour days and he's been locked up in a room and I am technically homes homeschooling the kids, cleaning, cooking, doing everything for them and trying to do an element of my work as well. And this is the, the most stretched I've ever been. And I'm not complaining because I know I'm very lucky um, and I'm very grateful for what we've got. But this is like amplifying everything by like a hundred. So, I mean, I guess, where, where, would, where do we start? Where, how do we create a little bit more harmony in these very trying times? It's a great question. Um, so number one, we have to recognize that uh, men and women both just have 24 hours in a day. And um, in terms of this sort of unpaid labor that women traditionally do um, in the home, um, it can't fall just on one person. Even if someone else is stressed about their job, um, have to share it's not, doesn't mean 50-50. I'm never asking for 50-50. I actually think 50-50 is the wrong equation and it's held women back for, for 100 years because what the hell does that even mean? How do you get there? It just sets you up for disappointment and um, unclear expectations. What I want to say to your listeners is that your fare is going to look different than my fare, but we have to both feel like we can communicate and make things fair every day. So fair play is a system. And let's talk about what a system is. A system is just, it's not scary. It's just two things. It's just clearly defined expectations and knowing your role. And so what I mean by that is if nobody knows who's setting the dinner table, right, until dinner, then there's going to be a fight about who's, set, who's setting the dinner table and it's going to be a scramble and it's going to suck. And if your day looks like that times a hundred decisions, everyone's going to break down. So the number one thing that I can suggest to your listeners um, is that the toxic time messages that I talk about in fair play, which was my finding, my core finding was that yes, we were all fighting and crying about blueberries or getting angry about blueberries. But my core finding in fair play is that we as a society, we treat men's time as finite, like diamonds. And mm. we treat women's time as infinite, like sand. Yeah. And, and, and this is the thing. Women, women, why fair play had to be a book, Kate, and not just a uh, card game, you know, uh, sitting on a shelf um, in, the, in the game section, um, is that we women guard men's time. And it's going to be worse in a crisis like this. And what I mean by that is women all over the world were saying things to me like, I, well, of course I pick up the extra slack because my husband makes more money than me. Well, does that mean you're penalized for the rest of your life? Because I, am I penalized the rest of my life because I chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity? Am I penalized the rest of my life because in the same jobs, women don't make the same amount of money? Um, so that argument doesn't work. I had women saying to me all over this, the world, well, in the time it takes me to tell my husband what to do, I might as well do it myself. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh, I hear that all the time. And, 
And, it, and, and, and that also comes from an element of we do like to control things to our own standards. Correct. And Correct. But, but I will tell you, I went to the top behavioral um, economist, actually, in the UK and, and the US. And they said to me, that's an insane argument. Of course you want to teach someone how to set the table. Otherwise, you're going to be doing it for the rest of your life at the expense of your career and your happiness trio and your friendships and time for you. Um, so, so yes, there's a control issue, but, but, um, my, my favorite and and gets back to this control issue, Kate, um, was the only other time I cried in the fair play journey, um, besides the blueberries day was when I sat down with a crotchety old neuroscientist, um, who I was interviewing for fair play, you know, this white dude with, you know, typical, like, you know, hair coming out of his ears. Um, (laughs) I said to him, you know, a lot of what women are saying to me is that um, they're wired differently. You know, they're better multitaskers. Um, and this man just sort of looked at me like I was, you know, had horns in my head. And then he said, Eve, imagine we could convince half the population that they're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for the other half of the population. And Kate, I started crying. I started crying. I felt like we've been sold a bill of goods (laughs) in our society. I'm so big that I felt like the whole world was sort of crashing down on me. And especially in a pandemic that is crashing down on me because we are not better multitaskers. We are not wired differently for homeschooling our kids or wiping asses or doing dishes, right? Um, In fact, uh, what this man told me is men are actually have a slightly better executive function than women do. Um, on a whole, but I didn't write that in my book because I didn't want to like pop in a <laughs> bubble. And we know that because what the fuck, you know, men do it at work all the time, but, but we guard men's time. So why would they ever have to, God forbid, wipe an ass or do a dish? I called schools in the UK. I called schools in Australia and I called schools in America. And I said, why do you call women first? Mm. Why? And basically yeah. answer of, well, they all pick up or, um, or more importantly, we can't, you know, a version of we can't bother the men, right? You know, their time is more valuable. Um, so yeah. even men and women in the same job, two colorectal surgeons, two shipping supervisors were saying to me, well, you know, my husband's so much better at focusing on one task at a time and I can find the time. So what I'm here to tell women is that we cannot find the time. We're not Albert Einstein. We can't fuck with the space-time continuum. And we need to guard some of our time now or we're going to die. We are going to die. We are going to, um, you know, literally lose our minds. And that- Well, that's it, isn't it? Sorry, it's it's this sort of rebalance and and it's like, do we want to live in resentment? Does it always have to be, want to be the, the topic of conversation of, who does what and, and you know, we, we're resenting being a parent because that's not we, what we've become parents for. And it's this reassessment of, of collaborating together, but I, it is, it's that, it's the time. And I love how you talk about that in the book of, you know, all time is created equal. And, you know, there's someone else's time isn't more, um, you know, it's not more precious than someone else's. It's we, we all have the same time. And inevitably, you're right. We will get the phone call first from school. 
um, to go and pick the kids up if they're ill. And, it, you know, and I'd say 95% of the time, I've, it's always been me. And recently I was on a course and I paid a lot of money for the course and um, my daughter was ill and my husband had to go because I said, I can't miss this course. I can't forfeit the money that we've paid for this course. And he went. That was the first time in, a, in maybe 10 years he'd gone to pick one of the kids up. And I'm not disputing, you know, his, he, he works further away from school. He, he's normally in a lot of meetings. I normally work from home. It makes practical sense for me to be the one to go. But it's just the way society has created not, this. Not always. No, it doesn't make practical sense. Because as a society, we are modeling behavior that women are leaving the workforce, right? So if you are a cultural mm. warrior, Kate, it actually does not make practical sense. Because when we do that, we are seen as not valuable to the workforce. When we can't get on calls, but men can, because we are dealing with kids' illnesses and because we are dealing with um, our aging parents, we are seen as not as valuable to the workforce. And so what happens is that as a culture, our time is not valued. And we know that from pay equity. We know that from the motherhood penalty, women lose 10%, five to 10% of their wages for every child. So, so it may feel practical to you, but what I say is as a society, we all have to start sharing in the unpaid labor because once men start doing it and they have uh, you know, time that does look like diamonds, then things will start changing. And so what can you practically do to um, start living in a light in a, in a household where all time is created equal? Um, I want your listeners to get some practical advice. And what yeah. I want to start with is this idea that as a mindset change, um, I'm asking women to go, you know, sort of into consciousness really fast right now. Um, typically, I ask them to live in consciousness for a while before they implement any systems change. But I think now if we don't start the rebalance, we're all going to go insane. So what can we do? Well, number one is we can recognize that we are in a, what I call in fair play a wild card, the ultimate wild card, um, yeah. the global pandemic. And that requires you sitting back down and communicating, communicating, communicating. And so let's talk a little bit about communication, especially over what I call the dirty dozen. So Kate, in the past um, three days, I've interviewed, like I said, another 100 women and men. I surveyed them on social media. And there's a dirty dozen right now that's causing most of the consternation in the house. And that is laundry, groceries, meal planning, home supplies like hand sanitizer and wipes, Emergency planning, like what if you have to leave your, your house and go somewhere else, like in New York City, tidying up, cleaning, dishes, social interactions, finding those social interactions on, you know, Zoom, social media mm. with kids, watching of your children, all the way from young kids to teenagers who are escaping now from quarantine, I heard from one woman, um, homework and homeschool. Um, discipline, like what your rules are for the day, um, and chores and how kids get involved in your household, and, and garbage. So that's mm. it. So that, those are the yeah. ones that were um, causing the most consternation. So first of all, let's recognize that there's a dirty dozen now, um, because most of it's on us, right? Um, typically, in many households, right, there is some other help, grandparent, a babysitter, some relief. But now that it's just on us, um, that dirty dozen um, 
is very, very, um, very dirty. <laughs> dishes yeah. And once a day, now you have, you know, five times more dishes, uh, you know, groceries stocking up, like we said, for those home supplies, toilet paper. So what I want to say to your listeners is invest, invest in your relationship like you're investing in toilet paper. Mm. <laughs> that is, that is the, if there's one takeaway from today, it's that. Invest that's yes, that's like, the quote of the podcast. <laughs> I love it. And so what I mean by that is it's time to communicate. And this is a problem before pandemics that I talk a lot about in Fair Play. It was women, you know, and, and men, but mostly women saying to me that they could not bring up these issues. They were willing to vent about it, like we said, right? But they cannot bring up these issues. They can't communicate about domestic life because it's too triggering. So Kate, one woman says that to me. I can't. I can't communicate about domestic life. My husband will not, you know, he won't, he's not going to listen. And then I find out, you know, in the same conversation, 20 minutes later, she told me that the last time her husband forgot to put um, the laundry, the wash in the dryer. Um, she dumped the wet clothes on his pillow. Mm. Another woman told me she doesn't communicate about domestic life. And then I found out she started an Instagram account called the shit my husband doesn't pick up. And she <laughs> takes pictures of everything, single thing that's on the floor or around the house. And she po- posts it. She publicly shames him on Instagram. So as a mediator, what I want to say to your listeners is that you are already communicating about domestic life. Um, I will go on your uh, webcam or whatever, your nest cam, whatever you have in your house. I could go on your, that five and circle five times today that you've already communicated about domestic life. And I wouldn't have to see even your, your, the words that came out of your mouth. And so when I started to ask couples for a conversation shift, not a start, a shift towards more efficiency, practicality, treating our home like we would our workplace as our most important organization with some respect and rigor, things started to change. So what I want to say to your listeners is it is time to treat our home like our most important organization and invest in your relationship like toilet paper with a 20-minute check-in every single night during this pandemic. In Fair Play, I recommend once a week. We need to a nightly check-in every single night. I think that's amazing advice. And, you know, especially the way things are going, every day is different. You know, in the UK, we we get an, um, an evening update from the Prime Minister and something changes and, you know, the way things are going with the virus. And so, every night we're getting new updates, every this uncertainty all the time. So I think we need to be having these evening updates with our partners as well. Um, I just, I know that our house has never been like this before. And, and men are receptive. I, men are receptive. Yeah. And so I think the communication awesome. works because yeah. even just, I mean, we've been, it, in our house, we've been sort of self-isolating for a couple of weeks now. And, you know, there has been tantrums from all members of the family, crying, screaming, a lot of laughing as well. (laughs) But essentially there's been a huge shift. It's a huge change. And I actually think, you know, in the long term, it's been, it's going to be good 
because the visibility of what I'm doing is there. You know, my kids are seeing me hoovering, cleaning, washing. You know, my husband is really hands-on as well. And I don't want to in any way shame him because he is typically very hands-on. But at this moment in time, his business is, is, is his priority at the moment. But he's doing what he can. But the kids are seeing what is going on in the house and what needs help, where we need help, where... What, what's being done, you know, how the factory is ticking along and, and how things are happening because normally they're at school, they're in after school activities. Things are just presented, they're, they're lot, their laundry is just presented to them, their food's presented, they're seeing it all happening in real time. I mean, men are too. That's the beauty, right? Even exactly. It can't be 50-50. Men, we are making the invisible visible. Um, yeah. And I think that is the silver lining here. Um, my favorite meme um, from this week was a, uh, you know, one of somebody from Twitter said, you know, never again will everybody, will anybody ever ask a stay at home mom uh, what she does yeah. all day ever again. Right. Um, so the, that is the first step to culture change. Um, when I asked a, so, a social change professor, what you need to, for, to change culture, if you could distill it down. And he said, it is pre-consciousness to consciousness to the fight for mm. So even if we're just getting conscious, right, of, yes, it's all falling on me. Um, how can I homeschool my kids, take care of the meals, and also work full-time from home without admin support and still be productive and responsive, as one woman I'm reading just said to me on, on uh, Instagram. Um, you can't. You can't, right? And, um, and, and even if your partner makes more money than you, nobody can do it all. And so I think once Seth and I sat down um, after those blueberries moments or, and the should I do spreadsheet, and I was able to say to him, when emotion was low and cognition was high, and that's why I, I recommend the nightly check-in, right? Because we cannot be communicating with feedback in the moment. It doesn't work. Women love mm. to give it. They tell me that they love to give feedback in the moment in my research. It does not work. Um, your partner can't hear it. I spent, I had 20 pages in the book devoted to feedback in the moment. And my editor made me cut it down to five pages, but <laughs> I'm here to tell you from a scientific perspective, from an economic perspective, from a psychological perspective, from neuroscience perspective, it doesn't work. So, you so, and so when, what I, when Seth and I did that, we started talking about fairness when emotion was low and cognition was high. The Ambitious Mum. The podcast about ambition, motherhood, and everything in between. So when you talk about feedback in the moment, I'm thinking of an example of um, you need to rinse the plates before you put them in the dishwasher, or you need to fold the washing in a certain way or whatever. So you're saying that there's no point saying any of that and you wait until the nightly check-in and say, do you remember when you were loading the dishwasher? Please, could you rinse the cutlery better next time? Would you say that's the yes. best way? Yes, absolutely. So let me give you an example of a woman who's living in fair play with her um, opposite sex partner. And she gave me this amazing example. So she said that, um, you know, we're not perfect. You know, it doesn't mean we're never giving feedback in the moment, but she knows that rule from fair play they've been playing. So her husband came in uh, from getting groceries. And the first thing she did when she came in, he started to put him away. She said, wash your hands. <laughs> um, 
And he dumped the groceries down and just went upstairs. So he touched mm. all the things. It ended up being worse, right? He's touching all the whatever. And so she realized that was feedback in the moment. Um, it didn't work. Um, and so she went back. She's, she, she relayed this story to me she, she, um, this week. She went back um, to him during their nightly check-in because thank God they already had that in place. And she said, look, um, my tone was horrible. Um, I'm not your drill sergeant. Um, I'm sorry about today and screaming at you. I, and her husband said to her, well, thank you for that. Um, I had Purelled with stupid hand sanitizer right before I walked into the house. Mm-hmm. And I just gone to the grocery store and um, getting that you're screaming in my face um, right when I walked in was completely not helpful. And she said, I recognize that. And I want to give you my why, because fair play is all about your why. Um, my, so number one, we said practical tip is nightly check-in. Number two, practical tip, no feedback in the moment. Number three, practical tip is you start with your why when you communicate and in your nightly check-in or any time you, you can. And so she know, knew that. And so she started with her why. And she said, here's my why for what happened today. Um, I can't control anything and I'm feeling completely out of control um, and my mental health is suffering. And so to me, one of the only things I can control for us as a family is the hand washing Um, because Mm -hmm. that's the number one most effective way to keep this out of our house. Um, And because that is how I can control our lives. When I saw you, not doing the one thing that we can control. Um, I, I had a complete panic attack in the moment. And so for me, even if you are Purelling outside, I am asking you just for my own sanity, if you would wash your hands when you walk into the house by singing happy birthday, um, it is an investment in me and my mental health. And that's basically the story she told me. And I thought it was a really beautiful reframe. Absolutely. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, anxiety is at our peak. Tension is, is frayed. Nerves are on edge. You know, everything at the moment is, is amplified. And so it, it is easy for us to lose our rag with each other. And it is easy to, you know, it, I guess we have to be constantly aware, don't we? Because, you know, to give um, feedback in the moment is just part and parcel of the sort of like the anxiety levels we're, de- we're dealing with. Um, and I think we, we have to be conscious and we have to be aware because we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation for. We don't know how long we're going to be in lockdown, how long we're going to not be able to leave our houses. And, you know, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of divorce lawyers making a killing after this whole experience. <laughs> and I hope that's not the case. I genuinely hope, I hope that it, it almost has the opposite effect and families learn to be able to connect better and communicate better. And, um, you know, we all come out of this, you know, being able to communicate on a, on a whole different scale. So I think these, this practical advice is, is really invaluable. So thank you very much for that. With regards to the situation that we're, we're currently in, and, you know, beforehand, I wanted to talk to you about what you refer to as your unicorn space in the book. First of all, can you give us a very brief description of what unicorn space is and maybe how we can apply this 
unicorn space in the times that we're living in now? Absolutely. Um, there, it is the most important thing um, about Fair Play. Um, I wanted Fair Play to be just a solution book, right? Um, which is basically how to communicate and then how to divide up, um, you know, sort of your tasks with full ownership. But Kay, what ends up being really important to me um, was the prevalence of women telling me after kids that they were um, losing their identity, that they felt like they didn't have permission to be interested in their own lives anymore. Um, and so I think in this time, um, I got this beautiful note from a friend who said that her um, love of her life before kids was baking. Um, and she was living in Switzerland with her husband and uh, the Swiss loved her American treats because uh, they were less expensive than the Swiss treats and she would bring them to her husband's office. And she said that she had lost, lost her love of baking, but um, she said that she's reevaluating her life now in this quarantine because she's been baking again. And then she says, um, you know, all I know is that I'm not sure what it'll, where it'll take me, but I know that the world needs more cakes. <laughs> and I think it's really beautiful. Um, unicorn space is why I call it that. It's the, like the mythical equine, it's beautiful. It's creative space for women uh, and men that doesn't fucking exist, um, you know, uh, unless we reclaim it. And we reclaim it through a domestic rebalance. We reclaim it through the efficiency of bringing systems into our home. So we're not making all these micro decisions every second of every day. Um, you know who's, hooting, who's setting the table because you've talked about it, you know, in advance. Um, someone who owns the week, weekday meal dinner card in Fair Play because Fair Play is based on a hundred card card game. If you're holding the weekday meal dinner card, you know, you are responsible for uh, planning that menu to getting it on the table. So once you have that efficiency, the idea of being able to invest in some time for you, for, for an active pursuit. So self-care is also important, but that's a passive pursuit. That's, you know, eating the pie and not baking the pie. Um, you know, taking the walk, not signing up for, you know, the, the full marathon group. Um, that is important. But what the most important thing is for women in terms of their mental health and longevity is this idea of an active pursuit. Um, in science, it's called eudaimonic well-being. And, and mm. we call it, uh, I call it unicorn space in fair play. Is unicorn space, just, is that even going to exist at the moment? Well, no, we don't. We, and that's the thing. Like I said, when I had a pen stabbing me in the vagina, um, I wasn't asking, finding my passion or purpose, right? Anything in a crisis is not time to sort of start thinking about more of these existential things. We just need to get through our day. But I am finding that people are rediscovering their unicorn space in this quarantine. Um, people are running again. I'm telling me that they're going to sign up for a half marathon. Um, I see women baking all over the place who tell me that that's their, um, that th that was their unicorn space. Um, one woman is now learning um, Moroccan cuisine um, because that's something she's always wanted to do. And, you know, she's never had a chance. So she opened a Moroccan cookbook. Um, I'm writing my second book. We speak and interviewing for it. It doesn't mean you have to go big. It means if there is, anything for why, why you want the domestic rebalance, right? It is two things. One is what woman said to me um, this week, you know what, I'm okay doing it all. 
I really am, even though it's stressing me out. But what I'm not okay with is that my daughter and son are watching me do it all because they're home. Mm, Yeah. Number one reason we want to rebalance is because it's what we're modeling for the next generation. Number two, it's for our mental health. And when you can reclaim some time for yourself, whether it's again, you know, let's sign up for that fictional marathon in a year and just start pretending to train, Uh, you know, go for a run around the block. Um, sign up for that fictional pie contest that's going to happen hopefully one day again and just start perfecting a recipe. Just start writing your book, start writing your poetry, even if it's only five minutes a day. I promise you in terms of your mental health, that's the best thing you could do for yourself right now. Carve out even five, 10 minutes. And for me, it was never meditating. I hate, it's like meditate. I'm like, fuck med- meditating. <laughs> This idea of the active pursuit of what makes me me. And I know that from the science, that that is just as effective or even more than meditating. Because what it does, it allows you to feel like you're contributing to society. Mm-hmm. I have one woman who is a volunteer firefighter. She's dusted off her, her firefighting, helping to, she's running the volunteer firefighting in her town right now during this pandemic. That's fantastic. And that is, I think that's really inspiring um, for sure, because it's almost like the universe has carved out this time for everyone. And we can look at it as like a shitstorm, which it is, but we can also look at it as like we've been granted this, this time where, you know, maybe some big stuff can happen in people's lives. And it is a shift in mindset. And, you know, whether it is you've always had a book inside you, whether you've always had this underlying, you know, desire to start have a new hobby or all these things. And yes, we have a lot going on in the families and all the housework and, the, and, and homeschooling and working for ourselves as well. But we've also got time to, to reclaim, you know, our identity again, if, if we want. And I think that's really empowering because we can hey, look, look at, at you. this. Look at you. Look at what you're sharing with the world, right? How, what makes you you and you and, and how do you share that with the world? Look what you're doing for women. And you have four kids. Your husband's business is, is in crisis and you are carving this time out because you understand it's important. It's important to share your voice and your perspective and your guests with the world. And that time is just as valuable as, as the time that your husband's spending right now. I understand there's a monetary component that doesn't maybe doesn't make it feel that way. But I promise you, from a value to society, uh, the messages you're getting out are just as valuable as what your partner is doing right now. Thank you. You know what? That's so nice to hear because you you kind of, you don't think that yourself. But when you say it, when I'm listening to you right now saying that, um, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm doing. I can hear my kids screaming in the background. I can hear my dog barking. Um, I don't know what's going on because my husband's probably on a call, but... I had to make a decision whether I was going to carry on with the podcast podcast during this crisis. And I had a bit of a wobble about a week or two ago. I was like, who's going to want to listen to this? What's the point? You know, what have I got to say? And actually, you know, for me to bring someone like you onto my platform, I know people will want to listen to what you've got to say and people will need to listen to what you have to say. If I can be the vehicle to bring you to them to help, you know, even if I can help five people, 10 people, whatever it is, then yeah, you're right, that there is value to society. And I think as women and pet and mums, especially, we put a lot of monetary value on 
you know, what we can offer. And sometimes, you know, something like this podcast, if I can help people with their well-being and their mental health and whatever is going on at the moment, then it is difficult to put a monetary value on that. So thank you for that. I really appreciate priceless. it. It's priceless. You're telling your listeners you are not alone. We are not alone in this feeling of a grief right now. Um, there was a great article. Um, I can send it to you, Kate, if you want to send it to your listeners from the Harvard Business Review about what we're feeling right now is grief. We are feeling grief. Um, and if we can channel that grief through having spiritual friends, and I consider you, Kate, a spiritual friend, even though I don't know you, um, you know, in person, but um, if we can be spiritual friends and support each other, right? And not only finding our unicorn space, um, but understanding that our time is still valuable, um, that, we, that there is no guilt and shame for carving out some time for ourselves. There is no guilt and shame for not having a perfect color-coded homeschool for, for your kids. Um, you do the best you can. There's no right way to do a pandemic. And if we could take that learning out of here, that domestic rebalance and being, um, and that we have value to share with the world, um, even if it's not monetary, that to me would be the silver lining of, of this crisis. That's yeah, absolutely. I think that's fantastic. And I love, I love what you just said. There's no right way to do a pandemic. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, we are all learning on the job. You know, my kids are asking, you know, has this ever happened before? Or, you know, is this going to be in history? And it's like, hell fucking yes, this is going to be in history. And we're going to go down as the generation that waded through, you know, what's going on. And I hope, like what you said before, that we're modelling for the next generation that there's going to be a serious level of resilience and... Um, you know, can-do attitude for our kids that they can see that if we can get through this, we can get through, you know, a hell of a lot more. The only thing I say is what's not okay is that mom and daughters do it all. Um, my sons are holding fair play cards because like I said, you know, fair play is a card game where you hold cards from start to finish. Um, ben, my older son is in charge of watching the toddler for two hours a day, which I think is more valuable than homeschool, right? Because he's learning yeah. how to do the vagina, he's learning how to do the diaper, um, he's learning how to make sure she doesn't ingest poison. Um, and so he's, he's, he's in charge for two hours of watching of the, of the baby. And um, my middle son is in charge of vacuuming the couch. Um, he's in charge of setting the table of morning routine. He gets everybody up and dressed in the morning. Um, and then he does laundry on Sundays. So it's been really fun to watch them um, engage in this idea of ownership. They understand this idea that asses is up. Oops, that's my, um, my next call. But uh, asses are up, um, meaning like, you know, if my ass is up, everyone's ass is up and we're all pitching in. I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think we're doing very similar. And like you say, you know, the life skills that they're gonna learn from this, is by far way more valuable than, you know, if they don't do their, you know, geography or history module this, this term. So yeah, absolutely. If they can come out of this being like these domestic kind of kings, then I think we've, we've, def yes. 
yes. we've definitely done a good job exactly and you know what this is really it's been so uplifting this conversation because I feel and I really hope my listeners do as well I feel a lot more empowered and you know we we I'm gonna tonight we're gonna have our nightly chat I'm gonna make sure and I'm gonna reinforce with my kids that they all know their little jobs which they kind of know but it's gonna be you know a little bit more reinforced and actually I think they're all stacking up to them they mark they quite like it focus on the dirty dozen you know just 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 say you know this you know this weird podcaster told my family that we have to talk about these uh you know the baker's dozen these 13 tasks um that are causing most you know strife in households and how are we going to get all these things done help me brainstorm with your husband there and your kids and then um you know i can send them to you so you remember what they were and to your listeners but um, they're also on fairplaylife.com, uh, the full dirty dozen list of what we should be focusing on now because those are the things causing the most conflict. And then just open-ended, you know, nothing like you have to do this, you have to do this, but how should we solve this? How do, who wants to own, you know, which, which, uh, which dirty dozen? Yeah, absolutely. It can change every day. We rotate all the time. Um, remember, we deal every single night. We deal your cards every night. Um, because n- everything is fluid now, as we just said, there is no right way to do a pandemic. Amazing. And so we're going to put on my show notes all the links that you mentioned, and we're going to have links to your book, your website, your social media. And, um, you know, if anybody's got any questions, you can, you know, send them to you on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but I think this, this conversation has been really invaluable. So and it's been an absolute joy to speak to you, Eve. So thank you so much. You too. I'm so happy that um, we got to, that you're continuing your podcast through this um, crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eve. And we'll, we will speak very soon. And um, if you're next in the UK, I would love to catch up and yes. have a coffee. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> We're going to give each other hugs at that cafe in Manchester I told you about. And um, we're gonna be, I'm going to be so excited to be in person and be like, oh my God, we got through this pandemic. Absolutely. Please, God. Uh, Well, thank you, Eve, and we will speak to you very soon. So that is this week's episode done. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd love to know if some of the insights resonated with you or if there were some takeaways that you're possibly able to apply to your life. I would really love to hear your feedback and perspective on today's conversation as well. Perhaps we talked about a topic that sparks something within you or you have something to offer to the other listeners. Either way, I would love to hear from you. In order to help grow the Ambitious Mum community and allow the podcast to be heard by other people, please do rate, subscribe and share it across your social networks. This will really help with the visibility of a new podcast. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under Coaching by Kate and do use the hashtag The Ambitious Mum Podcast so I can find your comments easily. So please do get in touch if you have any more to say. I'll also provide all links to my guests and my contact details on the Ambitious Mum show notes too. See you next week.